Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio. Today is part two of our Advent series. David and I sit down and discuss um, sort of our Jewish brothers and sisters and their contribution to Christianity through uh, the story of John the Baptist and how that um, how that's important for the Advent season. So we look at once again sort of some of the historical stuff and why um, these things are relevant today and um, specifically looking at repentance in a restorative type of way instead of a punitive idea. But before we get into that, thank you Diego at Recording Moving Studios. Uh, He does all the editing and sound engineering. Uh, Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums. Uh, That's what you hear in the background. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain uh, as a community, check out theruin.com. DRCRpod.com is where you'll find other episodes of our podcast. Uh, Please tell a friend. Uh, It helps us, whether you do that uh, by word of mouth or social media. We definitely appreciate that, and we appreciate you. And let's get into it. Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio Dispatches from the Verge. What's up, David? Hola. Hola, sir. Hola, Uh, Chomba. Happy second week of Advent. I suppose so, yes. Yeah, when we we put, well, I guess we're leading into the second week of Advent. For this episode. Yeah, yeah. for this, when we post this episode, the the first Sunday of Advent will have just passed. So it's the Tuesday after that. Yeah. Um, And so what we're we're, going to look at today is um, we're going to kind of meld week two and week three of Advent as far as um, the liturgical reading. It's it's John the Baptist um, talking about uh, being a, a, what would be the, not a front runner, but a... The forerunner. Forerunner to Jesus. Yeah. Um, and and so maybe that's where we could start is is why why is this idea of someone and it part of the mythology is he's related to Jesus right cousins right yeah okay yeah he's Elizabeth and Zachariah's uh, miraculous son who's born in their old age you know according to the 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 Luke account mm-hmm. and yeah and he was raised as a as a prophet. And so, why is that important with the the bigger story of, yeah. of uh, you know the Christ story? Well, it's important to Christianity because they the early church wanted to there were the, you know the, a widening gap between Judaism and Christianity began to occur in that first century, and so to you know, for lack of a better word, to score points. Mm. Right. Or to gain legitimacy, maybe that's gain, a better word. Gain popularity. Yeah, to gain some some authority within the tradition. Okay. Uh the early church claimed John the Baptist as the last of the Old Testament prophets. Uh so that was within the realm. So Christianity trying to gain points with the Jewish community. Yeah, with Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Okay. Kind of language. So he he uh, 
signifies a bridge, maybe? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. He's the bridge between Judaism and and the early church, mm-hmm. which which there wasn't, you know, they weren't separate. Right. You know, I mean, that's how I understood it. Yeah, right. Jesus was Jewish. John yeah. the Baptist is Jewish. Paul the Apostle was a rabbi. And so it was all, you know, and that was, if you read the, like, for example, the book of Acts, uh, Jewish-Gentile relations was a big deal. Mm. How do we be community together with these cultural divides, uh, racial divides, that kind of thing? Um, and so that was that was a big deal in the in the first century, and you know we didn't do so well. Obviously, <laughs> it's only it's only gotten wider. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two thousand yeah. years later. And I think in recent years, I think there's been some. Uh, I think it was John Paul II. Uh, was the f- first pope in, I don't know, thousand years to go to Jerusalem. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And, and ask for forgiveness, you know. Interesting. And, and so every pope needs to do that, needs to go to the Wailing Wall and ask for forgiveness uh, for Christianity's complicity with the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not all their fault, but they were a part of it. Christianity and European culture are very intertwined. Well, you know, and especially 80 years ago, 70 exactly, years ago. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so to to reconcile that anti-Semiticism. Mm-hmm. And so some of that language needs to soften, in my opinion. Uh, uh, you know, and I'm not an expert on anything. Uh, what, so what do you but, mean by, so give an example of what would, something uh, old, that could be Old softened. Testament, New Testament. That's, okay. That's right. a very offensive thing to Jewish right. uh, people. Uh, you're the old. Yeah. <laughs> We're the new. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, why not original testament <laughs> and and new flavor uh, <laughs> and the remix? <laughs> you know, something you know that kind of thing. Uh, an old dispensation, and now we're in the new dispensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that there's a context of, of like right and wrong, yeah, sort of underlying that. Yeah, okay. I think these are theologies that need to be, you know, re, you know, revisited by experts. <laughs> well, because I mean, and they are they are doing this work. Of course, and and it's it's one of those things too that um, we wouldn't have Christianity without Judaism. No, absolutely not. You know, it's, it's, it comes from the 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 root of Jesse, as the prophet Isaiah would mm. say. You know, uh, it comes from that that tree mm-hmm. of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. You know, and it's interesting because Abraham was not Jewish. He's, he's oh a right, he was, yeah, he was, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's, a, he's a Gentile who gets called into the promises that become Israel. And so that, that's an important point as well. You right. know? So, uh, so anyway. Well, and especially because, I mean, if we step out even broader, you know, the, um, the, our brothers and sisters of the, um, within the Muslim faith. Exactly. Right. Yeah. They, they are part of the, the, the same tree. Yeah. The Abrahamic religions, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, to sort of bring it back into this uh, idea of um, John the Baptist, and one of the one of the things he talks about. So the reading we're talking about—I I don't know if I already mentioned this—but basically, it's it's um, the third chapter of Luke. Yeah. That's split up between these two weeks of Advent, and one of the things he talks about is this idea of repentance. And so, I, maybe you could spend some time. To, uh, Elaborating on your idea of repentance, because I think that sort of, uh, especially for recovering Christians or ex-Christians, yeah, yeah, if you will, a, they've been beaten over the it's head. It's a weaponized word. Exactly. Yeah, repent. 
So this idea of repentance and maybe yeah. the context of, you know, the Baptist. Yeah. And, um, and, and the context also of, of its importance around this season of Advent. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, let's look at him first. I guess mm-hmm. why he appears in the desert. It's just a mysterious appearing. Uh, the mythology is that God was silent through the prophets. Uh, the temple had been destroyed. The uh, Jewish people had had been put into exile throughout the world: uh, Alexandria, Babylon, Greece, and now the Romans were occupying Palestine, and so. So on the landscape, you have all these different groups. You have the the Pharisees, uh, who were uh, kind of the liberals at the, at the time. They were the ra- the the progressives because okay. they were they were basically saying, no, the 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 core of our faith, the core of being Jewish, is in the Torah itself, in, in the in the written word, and that was progressive because now you're not tied to a, a piece of land. You're not tied to a temple. Oh, I see. And this okay. could go to synagogues throughout the world. I see. Okay. Uh, and so that was a progressive idea. Then you then you had the because uh, at the time it was like you had to be in proximity to Jerusalem. Right. Exactly. And then you had that group, the Herodians, who cooperated. They collaborated with the Roman officials to rebuild the temple, and and to. Uh, have that temple industry, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so those are the, you know, the Sadducees, uh, the Herodians. So you have these different factions, you know. So is that, not to jump too far ahead, but is that sort of goes to the story of Jesus going in and flipping the table? Exactly, yeah. Because it's become an industry. Exactly. Okay. Uh, and for other reasons too. It was a blocking of, the, the temple had a, a specific place that was for the Gentiles. Mm. to gather and to connect with uh, the covenant of, of Israel. And they, you know, had turned it into a money-changing mm-hmm. place. Right. So there was no place to pray. That's why he says this oh, is I see. the house for all nations, for all peoples. So Judaism, at, uh, I think it was Carl Jaspers who called it the, uh, uh, the axial age, which was an age of spirituality that seemed to evolve uh, simultaneously in different cultures at the same time. So, so in Judaism, you had, they graduated from, they evolved from Yahweh being just this tribalistic God mm-hmm. that was for their team to a universal creator. Mm. In, the, in that prophet, in, you see it in Isaiah and, and the, the, the prophets. Mm. Uh, in Greece, you have the, the advent of, of the great philosophies, classical philosophies, you know, Plato, Aristotle, um, Zoroastrianism in the Middle East was was beginning to to rise up. Hinduism in India uh, evolved around 500 BC to uh, from being just a sacrificial folk mm. religion to to being a, uh, a, a a a philosophical system, if you will. Buddhism okay. gets birth. That's when uh, you know Gautama uh, Siddhartha goes and sits under the tree and. Mm-hmm. So you have all this. So so that's the big so revelation global, of Judaism. It's a global thing yeah. that's occurring. And so you have other groups too. And so there's one called the Essenes who were anti-civilization, if you will, lived in the desert. They were expecting uh, Yahweh to arrive and smite the enemies, uh, which included people in Israel who were not living according to the covenant. 
And so a lot of scholars think John the Baptist came from that group. Okay. They separated themselves from the, the urban area and were living in the deserts. And so then this mysterious figure, the forerunner, shows up and begins to baptize people in the river. And, and, the, um, and it's kind of pointed to in that sense when it talks about he was wearing, was it camel hair and eating locusts? Yeah, so it's, yeah, so that's, that's significant to Judaism because he's the reincarnation, if you will. I don't mean that religiously. He's, the, he's carrying the spirit okay. of Elijah, if you, if, you, if you read Elijah. And so Elijah is the... F- yeah. Of Elijah, maybe. So in Judaism, Elijah is the forerunner of the Messiah to come. You know, at, at Passovers, okay. they invite the spirit of Elijah to come to the Passover. Okay. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it has a messianic context. And again, I'm not a, a Jewish scholar right. by any means or even a Christian scholar. These are just uh, my lay studies, you know, yeah, if you will. So, and yeah. so as he's, so you, we get to the point where he's out baptized. Baptizing people um, in the river. Yeah. And it seems as though he becomes some kind of a celebrity or well known because people yeah, are. stirs up some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he becomes an influencer. <laughs> He's the original influencer. <laughs> and, you know, and he didn't go to charm school. So it's kind of, you know, imagine, uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, I, I can't. Yeah, you can't even imagine yeah. um, <laughs> what the context might be. I mean, I mean, the idea of baptism was interesting because, I, from my understanding, uh, when Gentiles converted to Judaism, they were baptized. So it was almost a sign that you were an outsider. Mm. So here he is calling Jews who are insiders to become baptized. Oh, I see. To, I see. And, yeah. So you're you have to. So an insider has to renounce their inside, uh, what they perceive as their insider trading. Uh, privileges to give that up and be baptized as an outsider once again. So that's kind of how I read it. And and so, yeah, but then everyone seems to be coming to him, Gentiles as well, Roman soldiers, asking what, what should we do, right? right? The tax collectors. The tax collectors, everybody's coming to him. And then, the, and then of course, the Pharisees, the, the self-proclaimed leaders, uh, the gatekeepers of Judaism for all time, forever, uh, as they saw themselves, you know, mm-hmm, right. come up to him and, and say, well, who sent you? Where do you, where do you get off? You know? What are your credentials? Yeah. <laughs> Bible answer men always exist in every culture. <laughs> well, I guess that was what sort of stuck out to me reading through that was it, he obviously was making a stir if the self, well, they were probably important at the time, but they were also self-important Pharisees are coming out to see what's going on at the right, river, right? Yeah. It, I can't imagine it was like just around the corner. No, no. They probably had to take quite a trip out mm-hmm. there in the wilderness in the heat. Right. So this wasn't an, an easy thing for sure. And, and so, yeah. And so here's this wild man uh, you know, just telling him what's what. He insults them, right? You know, yeah. He's, yeah. Calls them snakes. Vipers. Uh, vipers, you know. <laughs> You know, imagine saying that to the Pope, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, it, and there's a long tradition of that even in, in you know, there's the, the, uh, the myth of, uh, uh, what was his name? He was a Greek philosopher, lived in a wine cask. Uh, uh, he escapes my name. Uh, the name escapes me at the moment. But anyway, Alexander the Great wanted to see this wild, crazy man and uh, this philosopher. Um, 
and he and he there's different stories and he and Alexander the Great asked him, Can I do anything for you? And he says, Yeah, you're blocking my sunlight. Could you stand a little to the left there? <laughs> or or another other accounts, you know, he says, Yeah, you could do something for me. And he's like, What's that? Anything. He's like, Leave me the hell alone, you know, kind of thing. And Alexander the Great was, you know, uh impressed by this. And so it's kind of that tradition, you know, this outsider, a voice in the wilderness. That's what he describes himself as, which right. is from in the prophetic tradition he's in a tradition uh you know to to call that out and to call them out and so um and this this is kind of a a sidebar but it it's something i i know i'm interested in and this idea of baptism in the current context of yeah. life baptism <laughs> getting dunked getting dunked in the in the jacuzzi, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Whichever, you know, whatever thing that, but, you know, so I grew up as we've covered, like in the, the Catholic religion where you're baptized as a small child, typically. Right. Um, but then there's other, you know, there's other brands of Christianity, if you will, that right. even if you've been baptized, you need to be baptized in their church. Right. And then there's other ones that if you've already been baptized, you don't need to be baptized again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you can and um so so kind of what 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 is your interpretation in the current context 2021 of of baptism and, and kind of the importance or symbol yeah. of it, you know what I mean, to to touch because it it comes directly from yeah, yeah. this passage with John the Baptist, you know these verses. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely, you know, it's not clear in the early church. It looks like, you know, when you read acts, uh, you read Jesus in, in the, in the four gospels, he, he alludes to multiple baptisms, right? The baptism of fire, you right. know, be baptized with salt, a test with, you know, baptism with water. Uh, even John the Baptist says, I'm baptizing you with water, mm -hmm. but there's one coming who's going to baptize you in fire. So who, do, you know, these are all, uh, you know, so the church has tried to sacramentalize them. In other words, mm. put it into a system into and a tie a theology to it. And, and again, it's, that's, it's complicated and, mm -hmm. and, and problematic. Uh, but I think ultimately what it, the, the sacrament of baptism is, isn't, is, is a, a sign of your place in a greater community. Mm. It's your belonging. Connection. Before and and in infant baptism, like a lot of churches do, it's saying you belong before you've made a choice. Mm -hmm. And some people resent that, but but in other ways, if you look at it from another perspective, it uh, it's saying you don't have to earn this mm -hmm. this belonging. You belong already, uh, which is powerful. Yeah, I think that could be a powerful thing. Yeah. Other people could be, uh, you know, I've met people that are so bitter. Not a whole lot of people, but I've met individuals. Mm -hmm who are resentful to their parents for bringing them into this world. Uh, and, and, and I know of one in, individual who actually had himself sterilized uh, for that because he's a part of a movement that's against uh, that kind of thing. So, so there are, I, I don't know how to address that. Uh, it's radical. Uh, yeah, that's putting it But softly. I think for most people, maybe I'm going out on a limb here, uh, to be told that you belong because you are, and you have a community around you that loves you before you've made a choice for 
uh, good or for bad, you belong, period. There's this statement of communal, uh, unconditional love. Mm -hmm. uh, And we're we're, uh, certifying that through a, a sacred act. I think it could be a very powerful thing, you know. Well, and it's too, it's, 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 at least in the Catholic Church, right? It's a predecessor to like, if you think about it, to this person becoming a toddler. Right. right? When, when that, you know, toddlers yeah. are tough to be around, right? But you've already, like you're saying, and in, have invited them in the community. Yeah. And for good, for bad, uh, whether you're a productive member or you're a strain, you're, you're with us. Yeah. You're yeah. our, <laughs> I think we're talking about this, uh, <laughs> about athletes and how cities will hate athletes until they sign with their team. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, well, now you're my asshole. So you're yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I loved, uh, Rondo Rajan when he was with the Lakers and then he wasn't with the, and now apparently he's back with the Lakers. So how does that happen? But yeah, I'm so, very confused. So in this idea of, of community and baptism, like, you know, you're our strain on the world and we love, we love you anyways. <laughs> yeah. Come on in and uh, sit down and, and eat with us. And um, now the Protestants have issues with that. A lot of Protestants, especially evangelicals, have a, a big problem with that, uh, with infant baptism. Mm. So they'll say, no, you didn't make the choice. You have to make a, a public statement of faith. And baptism is that mm. first step of making that statement. And and it, and so they cry foul to that, uh, which makes sense because they're hyper individualistic rather than communal. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the problem with that is Christianity in its origin is a communal faith. Right. It's not a hyper individualistic, rugged Western you know individual faith. Well, and you don't have to read too far into Acts. Yeah. To see it's like this is about community. Yeah. It's it's about I mean the the definition of God itself is community trinity mm. oh yeah three and one it's god is community mm-hmm. and so uh but so they so they do have a lot of issues with that and, and they'll tell people you know and so so as a catholic uh in my teens and i went to the charismatic evangelical church which mm-hmm. later became vineyard uh there was a lot they pressured me to get rebaptized. The vineyard did. Yes. Yeah. Well, the, not, the, not as that an individual, organization. Yeah, the right. congregation did. Right, right, right. And I refused. I said there's one baptism, and it's good for once. If that first one doesn't stick, then it was never meant it to anyway? be. <laughs> yeah, it was never meant to be. So I'm good. So and, what was, and eventually, you know, they let it go. What was your stand? So when, once you sort of had your your church, right, what, what was your guys' uh, – not theology, but practice in and around baptism. What did that look? I, I don't think you and I have ever talked about that. It was it was uh, difficult because we met out of school. Oh, that's right. And so to do baptism, so it was always complicated. You have mm-hmm. to had to find someone who had a pool uh, in their house. Uh, I think we we bought like a a uh, like a kiddie pool. Yeah, yeah basically, it, it's now our pond pump. That that container. The top of the pond. Oh, it's a feeding trough, or a, okay, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. That that yeah. was our baptismal. So it's, it's like a trough of water. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then that's you know, amazing. Yeah, so that's what you guys used exactly. Yeah, and it's still being used. And it was such a pain in the just to fill it up of and course. prepare it. So then I think at the end of my 
my tenure there on the on the east side, we actually started just pouring water on people's heads, mm. just why you know, and yeah. which offended people, but that made it better for me at the time. I was like, <laughs> I'm glad to offend you. Uh, <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah. So yeah, but it was more of a as uh, I I wasn't. I didn't see it as a systematic thing, so we didn't mm-hmm. have any. Class. It wasn't like every every quarter you had a baptism. No, day yeah, type exactly. Of thing. We just did it as upon request, uh-huh. and we let them build up a little bit so we can conveniently do them all in one. Of course, you know, kind of thing. Of course. Uh, so yeah. So and so uh, and you know not to belabor the point, but sort of transition. You alluded to it a little bit, but sort of transitioning back into John the Baptist. Um, what is it thought to mean when he started referring to, you know, there'll be one after me that will baptize you in fire? Like what, what is he, is he just saying it's going to be a harder road when he gets here? What, you know, if you think water is annoying, yeah, just wait for this next guy. But what sort of, what was the context or, uh, your understanding of that? Yeah. If I, I, I think you'd have to go back to the this mysterious group called the Essenes in the desert. And they seem to have an apocalyptic uh, expectation. They thought Mm. that the Messiah was going to appear and was going to bring fire down Mm -hmm. uh, like Sodom, you know, like, Oh, so actual, he's talking about, it's not symbolic per se. Probably not. No. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, And was, yeah, it's going to cleanse, you know, the, the land itself. Uh, so there, yeah. So the Essenes are more connected to the land, I guess, of Israel, of Palestine. It's a sacred place, and then you had the Herodians connected to the temple, and then the Pharisees and scribes connected to the Torah itself, the book itself. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so you have, yeah. So you have this, this, this madman, so, so to speak, wild, <laughs> this wild creature boy. shows up, uh, and so it seems like that that would be it. But you'd have to reinterpret that throughout the years, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so a common interpretation now would be it would be a, this the baptism of the spirit of the heart, mm-hmm. a change of heart, not a change of legalistic purity codes in your life, but an actual change of your attitude in your heart and the way that you see the world, which is what repentance means to change the mind, to have the mind transformed, to have the mind uh, descend into the heart. Uh, into the to that fire to the wildness of God's uh, love, so that would be the interpretation now. Right. So. Well, and that's uh, yeah, that's really beautiful. So, with that sort of that idea of the the transition of the heart or the uh, opening of the heart. Um. And this idea of Advent, right? So we're waiting, yeah. we're we're in wait, effectively. Yeah. For the for this, um, obviously, this person that John is talking to, in the context of twenty twenty one, we would refer to as the Christ, right? Like this, yeah. this, this four weeks is leading up to, uh, to the celebration of that, and and so. For someone that that has been uh, hurt, or um, just this this weaponized words of repentance, yeah, you know what what someone that maybe is wrestling with that, what what 
you know, what kind of, what kind of words or maybe different person and not to say it didn't happen because right, lots of right. people have been hurt by this idea of repentance. Yeah. Cause but, it's used as a manipulative tool by preachers and hundred percent. And it sounds even, it has more of an edge even in, in Spanish, you know, down in these, repentamente, you know, they can really let it bite. <laughs> yeah, that's a punch. That's a punch in the throat for yeah. sure. Uh, so, yeah. So anyone that's sort of, maybe they're struggling with that and, and they've, they are questioning it and yeah. they hear that, um, that word and, you know, just that the pit of their stomach is, right. is it's just gross. A, I would say you don't need to... If 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 it's a word that causes that much is is that has been that weaponized in your life, why do you need to pick it up again anyway? Uh, right. And you might say, well, because I see it in the Gospels, and so you so okay, all right. So so the way that I would describe it now would be more of a uh, like Richard Rohr would say the the real question that all of us have to answer, uh, give an account for is what am I doing with my pain? And so, because you're either, you know, transmitting that pain to others uh, and increasing pain in your life towards, you know, uh, giving it to others, transmitting it, or uh, allowing it to be transformed and transmuted into uh, a healing gift for others. Right. And so I think that's, that's a working definition for repentance, a transformation of the mind, um, to see people as actual people, not as utilitarian devices for your, the plot of your life, uh, to, to, uh, you know, to actually see people as valuable for who they are. Um, I think that's all a transformative experience that we all have to go through, whether you're participating in organized religion or not. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, so I think the call to repentance, if you will, uh, is still there in that sense. Uh, the people that are causing the most damage, you know, there are individuals attached to the most damage to this planet right now, to the world situation. I can't imagine that they are happy people, individuals. I can't imagine that they're at peace unless, you know, uh, unless they've just become so hardened, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but I think underneath all that, you know, so there, there's a need and a call to to change, uh, you know, uh, what you're doing and, and and the road that you're going on, you know, and you know, and and that goes back again to the prophetic Jewish call for justice, and he and in the Christian scriptures too, uh, the uh, the letter of James, uh, oh, you know, yeah. the, the the workers' cry has reached heaven, and you corporations, you employers, you power brokers your day is coming and so there's there's still that underlying call to repentance that's relevant and valid today um so yeah well and i think it's to you know backtrack just a tiny bit but you know you you mentioned this idea of not seeing people or seeing people as people yeah right like seeing worth and just someone just being yeah. you know and not necessarily this idea of like what can i get out of them what what sort of utility can they provide to yeah. me? Uh, actually, it's funny because as soon as you said that, it circles back in my mind to this idea of, of infant baptism, mm. right? Because you're yeah in that moment when if you if you've ever been to one or um, have witnessed one, it's like I don't know anyone that's thinking like oh 
I wonder what we can get out of this baby. Yeah. What no, good yeah. is this? What good exactly. is this baby gonna? You know, it's 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 a beautiful sight, and and kind of you know, and and what you said, you know, we're we're bringing this child, this infant, into our community. Yeah, exactly. They are with us, and um, and I feel like that sort of reverts back to this idea of, of a renewal of um, the stranger, right? Yeah. Um, they might not have any use for me ever. They might not use, be useful in in a trying to get ahead sort of sense. Yeah. But do, but do I acknowledge them? Do I invite them in? Um, am I open with them? Am I vulnerable? You know, am I yeah. a person to them or do I ignore them? Do I try to take advantage? You know what I mean? Like all yeah. these other negative things that, that people have witnessed or, or people have done even throughout history. Right. It's not a new thing. Yeah. Um, which is pretty incredible how some of this stuff is still relevant and seemingly always will be. Yeah. And I, you know, and I experienced that at a infant baptism I was asked to do, you know, at this house and, and that was, yeah, kind of the, the opening I had was that this child, this, this child doesn't do anything. She, she doesn't do chores. Uh, <laughs> She doesn't have any giftings that could help the world. She doesn't even uh, use the restroom yet. Yeah, she or can't in even. the toilet. <laughs> and yet, if you put your finger in front of her and she grabbed it with her tiny little hand, mm. grabbed your finger, you're changed. She has that gift. And so this is the power of the gospel. This is the power of, of uh, community gathering around a child and saying, you're beloved, uh, period. You're beloved. Mm. And you work from that. Everything else in your life, uh, especially your your life in Christ, your your faith, uh, comes from this sense of being beloved. Not special. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Special as opposed to other people are not special. No, beloved in the sense that it's so real that it's alive and it's flowing out of you, and it and it causes others to become in touch with their belovedness. And so, you know, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Well, and knowing too, that, you know, every, every person is in that same place. They are all beloved in the sense of this community of, of God. Right. Yeah. So whether you're the infant grabbing the finger or, you know, you're the, the elderly person that need needs help across the street or so, you know, something, yeah. you know, whatever. Right, throughout whatever stereotype, and everyone in between, yeah, has that ability to touch another person uh, in that unconditional love, yeah, on purpose or on accident, exactly. And usually, it seems to be on accident or spontaneous. And I, and I think that's the core of repentance. Mm. You know, it's it's a it's a re it's a going back to this original blessing, this original. Uh, identity of who you are. Like Rich Mullins said, your life isn't valuable because you're a gifted musician. Your life isn't valuable to God because you uh, produce this or you do this. It's just simply because God is love and God has never been anything but love and can never be anything but love. And I'm not talking about a sentimental, sappy, uh, nostalgic kind of love, this old man in the sky who just loves you you know i'm talking about a severe baptism with fire kind of love a severe love a sacrificial love that we see on the cross so it's it's not nostalgic it's not sentimental it's it's a hard scrabble it comes out of the desert floor uh 
the voice as a voice that comes out of a desert floor kind of thing, dressed as a wild person, you know. And I don't think it could be nostalgic or sentimental because those things are fleeting. Yeah. Right? Like it has to be like this con, like you're saying, this concrete, yeah. undeniable um, through the highs and lows. Yeah. What, you know, God's love was in Auschwitz. Yes. Um, God's love was any, any school, name any school shooting we've had here in the United States. Yeah. God's love was, was not, and I'm not saying God's going around condoning these things. No, no. <laughs> That's not, don't get that mixed up either. But it's somehow, some way, this divine presence yeah. are in the darkest places. Yeah, because if it's not, then what is our faith? It's nothing, mm. right? It's a fair weather faith. Yeah, it's it's just a nostalgia, good old time religion, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, which becomes toxic to yourself and to those around you eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, so this I think is a, is a reasonable segue or an interesting segue of, of why are people so terrified of this, this divine love of this belovedness, whether it's your own individual belovedness yeah, yeah. or a communal, uh, everybody's beloved. And sort of my springboard for that question is, John the Baptist didn't have a good ending, right? No, like, it didn't end well. He's jailed and killed eventually. Yeah. Um, so and Jesus didn't bail him out. <laughs> Jesus did not bail him out. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Um, and so why why are people, you know, some of these things that uh whether it's renewal, repentance, baptism, uh this wild guy sh- sort of pointing out your flaws in the desert. Um what what is the mechanism behind the the fear? Uh, I I, th- I think it's a lot of things, but mm-hmm. uh, some of it I think has to do with if if I can't if my ego can't control something, mm-hmm. if my ego can't name it and categorize it and identify it and codify it in some way or, or uh, commodify it, put mm-hmm. some sort of value in it. Uh, mm-hmm. That that where it produces, then what good am I? And so it, it kind of hits at an existential level, which is if I'm not even my thoughts and my memories and my opinions, for God's sake, then what am I? Uh, and we have this fear, you know, like uh, uh, it's, it's around Halloween time. You know, the the uh, what was that movie that we watch it every year? Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh yeah. You know the 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 greatest fear is the is the boogity man, right? Yeah. And and it turns out he's just a, a gunny sack being controlled by a bunch of bugs. <laughs> and so to to realize that that all your production and all your your accomplishments and and your uh, spiritual evolution and all that kind of stuff uh, when it unravels, <laughs> it's just a bunch of bugs controlling a sack because uh, that's not really who you are. You're yeah. beyond that. And so that's a terrifying thing for most, I think, for most people, unless you've been trained. Uh, and even the training doesn't, you know, because you still have to take the journey of your own death. Right. Because any training is is basically a fire drill. Yeah. It's just exactly. a practice. So, it's just a run through. Yeah. So, so I think it hits a, a lot of that. Um, I think we want a love that we've earned. Um, you know, we want a love that has merit. 
Because uh, then it's kind of like you're standing on the podium at the Olympics yeah. with the, the gold medal of, of love. Yeah. Right. I, I think humanity at our our base, if you will, our base consciousness, if good things are happening to you, then that means the divine is favoring you somehow. Uh, if bad things are happening to you or you're born with a disability, uh, you're paying for something. Uh, a debt of some sort from your ancestors or you are uh you've done something wrong i think that's hardwired into our brain and i I think that's what the announcement of the kingdom of god is is to change your mind on this because there's this power called grace there's this power called unconditional love uh that's in the universe and it it trumps and it underscores what you call karma or legalistic you know purity codes and that kind of thing. And that's well, what Jesus and John the Baptist showed up to do, right? Or ended up doing. Right. Seemingly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, John the Baptist seemed to be... It seemed like he held to the, the, to the code of, of uh, you know, Jewish purity codes, mm. whereas Jesus kind of, yeah. Threw, threw water on even that. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he's healing on the Sabbath and it's almost it's like Richard Rohr said, you know, it's almost like Jesus laid in a hammock all week long and then he waited till Saturday and I'll go do the healing on Saturday. Uh, <laughs> you now know, it's time to heal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll you show know, them. They're not washing their hands <laughs> through purity rites and that sort of thing. He's talking to the wrong people. Uh, he's talking to outsiders. He's touching corpses. He's doing all these things to violate all the the illegal, uh, you know, the legal system of the time. Well, it's funny too. I've, I've never thought of it in this light, but as you're saying it, and he wasn't just doing this to be a coyote. Right? I don't think so. Like he wasn't just doing it for the shock and awe. Yeah, no. Was, there was always a point yeah. behind each one of the purity codes, quote yeah. unquote, he stepped out, out of bounds on. Yeah, because he, he he says it on one occasion, right? He said he didn't. God didn't create the Sabbath rest. Uh, uh, man wasn't made. Mankind was not made for the Sabbath. Uh, but it's the other way around. The Sabbath was made to, to serve creation, mm. and so uh, so you could you could you know so marriage was not meant to uh, you know humankind was not meant to serve the rules of marriage. Marriage was meant to you know, serve humankind. Uh, so you can, you know, you can do that with several of these issues. Right. With food, with, uh, all, you know, all the things that we put strange purity codes around, you know. And, and I've seen uh, non-religious people be more religious than actual religious people in, in a lot of cases, particularly around food and, mm-hmm. uh, and those kinds of things. Well, I think, too, if you, I mean, to that point, just in, you know, the context of, of, my lifetime, all the, if you can think of all the fad diets, Atkins right, diet, right. now it's what paleo, Yeah, you know, uh, you know, there, there's an ongoing joke of the, uh, uh, evangelical vegan, right? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. they're in, in your face, vegan, the Bible and, diet. Yeah. And, and <laughs> they just, eat Bibles for breakfast, <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Those are pure, those are purity codes of that feed your self-righteousness. Mm. Which, you know, a lot of researchers are finding that's hardwired into our brains. 
the self-righteousness. Yeah. Right. So that could be called uh, original sin, if you will. Mm. It, uh, you could use that as a, you know, as connected to that. Uh, the original sin is I could be, uh, I can earn this on my own and merit all of this myself. Well, you know, and there was self-reliance. There was a time and place where those hardwired things were important, right? Like if you're a hunter gatherer and Billy eats that, that right. berry over there and two weeks later or two days later, Barry's dead. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. Or Billy's dead from that berry. It's like, Hey, we don't, our people don't eat those right. Right. There. Right. Right. And so there was a time and place where being very strict on what you eat maybe yeah. served the greater good of the community. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's that's how tradition develops. Right. You, you know, know. It's different today. Uh, even, even in our families, though, tradition, you know, you, you have to fix this thing with this tool. Really? Mm-hmm. Why that tool? Because that's the way it is. And then you go to the original, because my uncle did that and his uncle did that. And then his dad did that. And his grandfather used that same tool. So you go find the, you have a seance or whatever, and you find the great, great grandpa who originally used that tool. And you ask him why. And he's, oh, because there wasn't anything else around. That's all I had. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. <laughs> Oh, that makes sense. And so um, that's how tradition develops. Well, and to go back to just to this idea, it, it, it caught my attention. But sort of the this different wording of the divine smiling on you, or the divine, you know, the yeah. divine, you know, you, you gave some examples. But there are so many tradition, you know, whether it's like, oh, the universe is smiling on me right, right now because yeah. I did the good visioning board or. Oh, karma, you know, I'm having bad karma. That's why I got yeah. three speeding tickets this week. It's like, well, maybe don't go 100 miles an hour every yeah, day yeah. on the way to work. <laughs> karma might not have anything to do with it. Exactly. Right? Um, and, that's, and that's John the Baptist's message, right? It's practical mm, stuff, right? The soldiers, what should we do? And he's like, stop ex- extorting people, mm-hmm. you know? Stop being assholes about this. Uh, so tax, he, he gives very tax, specific, very pragmatic stuff. Yeah, the tax guy's. Just take what's yeah. what's owed, no more. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah, very simple things. And it's it's so interesting um, how at the end of the day it's like coming back to relatively simple things to get your life back on track. Yeah. Right. We've you and I have joked that, uh, and you know we've probably said it on on the microphones. 20, 30 times now, this could just be called silence and service. Yeah. This podcast, right? Because yeah. it, it seems to circle back each time, you know, because um, like the tax collectors were, they were being of, of service to something. Yeah. But then they got greedy, right? And and turned it into a corrupt thing. Right. Um, you know, you same thing, same could be said about the soldiers and so on and so forth. And so, um, How is it, so kind of getting back to this idea of, of the self-righteousness, right? Because usually when people start breaking the rules here and there, you know, so let's just stick with the tax collector, right? Right. So he starts taking extra money because he's like, oh, I, I deserve it, right? Like he's convinced yeah. himself or she's convinced her, herself, you know, this this is owed to me. Yeah, because I'm being treated so poorly right. by Rome and by my own people. <laughs> Right? Everyone so, hates me. So I, you know, I, I need a little extra. And so, and you know, I think that's a form of 
self-righteousness, right? Yeah, the martyr call. Yeah. 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 You know, when you you start doing something that's outside the lines of of um society and but you've convinced yeah. yourself it's due or whatever. And and so I think those kind of things are hardwired in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't think Yeah, it works in modern advertising, right? You deserve this. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. And so so how do if someone if someone if if someone came to you and said, Hey, David, I'm I'm struggling with this, you know, I'm taking more, you know, I'm embezzling money from work, whatever it is. Uh, what kind of advice can you give someone to like slowly start taking steps to maybe look at differently at the this self whatever the self righteous thing yeah, is right yeah. if they approach you in an open minded way right but they're they're they feel lost of like I've always lived this way you know what what's something I can do to um look at a it's something that's like ingrained perhaps in my DNA. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know how you would, uh, where you would start with some, something like that. I, I mean, my approach even back in the day would have been, uh, the first in, in Romans, it says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Mm. And so the power of kindness, uh, can, you know, can transform us. Mm-hmm. And so simply beginning small steps to engage in this kindness uh, towards God. And I'm not talking about like my doctor. I was having a conversation with my doctor and and he said I had a deranged shoulder, uh, a deranged uh, rotary cuff. Uh-huh. I said, just like my spirituality is deranged. And he was, and so then he quipped. He said, you know, uh, Christians are very good at being kind to each other and forgiving and receiving forgiveness to themselves. <laughs> Everyone else, forget about it. So I'm not talking about that kind. I'm talking about if you've engaged in the most, uh, at, the, at the shameful parts of your life mm-hmm. and, and have received the inward kindness of God breaking through, and then it flows, it'll eventually correct and, and it'll trickle down if you will. Trickle down <laughs> kindness economics. Yes. Uh, and yeah, and it'll begin to uh, to transform your behavior. So maybe, can you give like a, a practical example of what that might look like? Uh, yeah, I heard, I've heard of stories of people who, uh, and this wasn't even in a Christian context. This mm-hmm. was just in a, a a secular kind of thing, but people that have began to become honest about themselves. Uh, it was more, it wasn't even recovery related. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a step that they felt they, they began, they began to be more honest with themselves and with others. And as a result, uh, one individual, uh, had been stealing from people in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and literally went to the houses that he had stole from mm-hmm. and told them, I stole from you and I would like to make restitution. And, and in this person's case, every single person, they were open to, to him. Mm-hmm. They didn't prosecute him. They didn't take advantage of him. And they allowed, they, they, they found a way, uh, forward in discussion with him, how to, how to make restitution mm-hmm. for stealing from them. So that's a very powerful thing. You know, mm-hmm. restitution is a, uh, well, I th- think it's, it, it, 
that story, but any story really about trying to make a change in your life. Yeah. Or trying to uh, a change with some kindness that that um, sort of the trickle down thing you were yeah. talking about. We were joking about a second ago, but getting creative, like finding yeah. that it, there's something really uh, powerful in that. Um, trying to use that creative part of our yeah. uh, of our life. Another, I had a conversation with someone years ago. Uh, who had uh, in his teen years had uh, he physically beat up his girlfriend mm. like badly, like mm-hmm. hospital level, and then years have passed and huge remorse and shame mm-hmm. over that event. So, what do you do with that? There's no way he could go and knock on this person's door. Yeah, she doesn't want to see him. She ne- she, yeah, he lost the right to ever mm-hmm. be a part of her life in any way. And so he was even, looking, even reaching out uh, via like an email. No, no, it would be, be inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, it could be a you know, it would trigger her. It mm-hmm. would be, it would not, it would be absolutely inappropriate. And so we we came up with kind of a, some spiritual exercises, like a candle, you know, light a candle for this this person, and you're going to pray, you know, daily, and you're going to engage in the shame that you have for this, and. uh and not try to cover it over, not try to say, well, the, the preacher done wash my sins away, you know, not do any spiritual bypassing. And then, and then when you're engaging in your own, with your own daughter and your own wife, uh, you're somehow, uh, the kindness that you're giving them is the kindness that you should have given mm. that kind of, that kind of uh, thing, you know, cause they're all connected mm-hmm. in that sense. And so, yeah, there are very difficult things. There are shameful things you may have done, and the temptation is to to bypass mm-hmm. those things. Well, that was all BC. That's that was that's something they joke around about in Christian circles. It's before Christ. It was BC. Like, so I'm yeah. everything I did before Christ. I'm not accountable for. Uh, it's all for the preacher done washed it away, which isn't true, and it's not true. Yeah, that's that's, that's not, not true. That's not John the Baptist's message of repentance. That's yeah. not. So there, there, there needs to be restorative justice. Um, the problem is most Christians only know punitive justice uh, mm. to, to uh, you know, punish the, the, the person. Right. Uh, rather well, than restore back into community. I think that, you know, that's a lot of people, at least, you know, I'm speaking about Western culture, but that's a pretty common theme in Western culture yeah. is, is punitive but you don't even restore it through punitive measures. No, that, nothing that's gets what restored. We, that's what we think. That's yeah. kind of what we're conditioned to to be uh, aligned with, I guess. Yeah. So, so to just begin to ask those questions, what would restitution look like? What would uh, restorative justice look like in this in this case? You know, and uh, and work through that. You may even have to to work uh, with that with a therapist. You may have to do You're that. Right. You know, professionals and get yeah. Get through those. It could be very painful to do it, but it's that's where the spiritual transformation would would occur. And it might take a decade. Yeah, or the rest right? of your life. Yeah, yeah, well, and probably the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening to this now, like the change might not happen. You know, we don't have three easy steps to transform to uh, get your life of repentance in thirty days or yeah, less. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a continual grind and and. Um, you know the the way I kind of picture it is um, 
whether it's life or universe or you know whatever however you want to visualize it but it's it, to me it's like a pond right and i can throw kindness and love like if i'm thinking about rocks right i could throw a rock of kindness or or love or whatever else and yeah. and the ripple effect um and i can also uh you know deceit hate any of these other things i could throw those same things into the pond and either way it ripples out yeah right it ripples just just as much of whatever i'm choosing to to put towards uh people i come in contact with um or just living things right yeah. how i treat the environment how i treat um anything it, it, yeah, it yeah. it's uh how i treat myself you know, exactly that, it falls into there too and so just tr- trying to keep that in mind that um it's going to ripple either way and so which which ripples am i attempting to to facilitate throughout the world and throughout uh my interactions and connections exactly you feel good yeah yeah it's a good one good conversation yeah man so um if you're interested in just sort of the background if you go back and uh, read uh luke chapter three is that is that the right way to say it yeah yeah, yeah okay um and it, it'll give you, uh, you, you know, you can read that and it'll give you a little bit more context as far as the what we were referring to throughout the conversation. Uh, thank you, David. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time and, and uh, recording these. Thank you to Jacob, Mr. Nedia. That's what you hear in the background with the, the drums as we as we head out. Um, TheRuin.com. Uh, catch up with us there uh, if you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community or or anything else a lot of david's writings and prayers and things of that nature are there um drcr pod or any other podcatcher you can uh find more episodes like this where it's uh, dispatches from the verge we also have a couple a few episodes out where it's actually uh three three people conversations um and you can also find a uh, road to desert rain which is individual story of um, how they've come in connection with with the community and um Yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you.